You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! I saw this trick where if you put your straw in the, ar- in the armpit, it makes this sound. <laughs> Everybody, welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim Jowsma, and joining me, all Portland, Maine, we have here Holiness, the Reverend Tracy. How you doing? I am doing pretty great. I had a little bit of a later evening for a reverend. I wound up going out fishing with some friends, which is great because it's the first time I've been fishing since the kids were here um, a mm. few weeks ago. But with this new founder, I guess, re reborn enjoyment of fishing. I used to fish a lot when I was a kid. I wasn't allowed to do like a lot of the, you know, taking the fish off the hook and dealing with that stuff, though. So I don't know that much about fishing. I would like to. So I've started hanging out and doing a very Mainer thing and just fish. And I actually got to go fishing off a boat for the first time, which was really cool. Um, it was it was a good time. It was fun. There were a bunch of like little kids around. Somebody's grandkids were out there, and they were catching these shitty little sunfish, which I guess are just little vicious creatures in and of themselves because they're just cannibals. Like they're, oh, they're cor- yeah. I guess like I learned that you can catch a sunfish, and it's okay because it's free bait because you can cut it up and throw it back out, and you can either catch other sunfish or you know bigger fish. So. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have to do that. It was just something that I got taught. But um, no, it was really, I didn't catch anything, by the way. It was just a very enjoyable time. And I learned always pee before you get on a boat. Oh my God. I was really testing uh, my kegels. My ability to hold it in as an adult was, was on test there. <laughs> But, I, you know, you're in a fucking boat and there's water everywhere. So you hear the slush, slush, slush. And then at one point, these kids, like, dumped out this water in this bucket that they were holding their prisoners in. Mm-hmm. Um, really, they're, uh, they're abductees, if you, if you so think of it that way. Um, and they, like, poured some of the water back out, like, right next to me. And I was like, oh, my God, that just got real. <laughs> oh, man, I, that reminds me of that little uh, sight gag from Futurama. They were at a uh, gym and they uh, showed a woman just sitting at a machine and she was like giving this Ooh, like real scrunched up face. And then you pass by and see the name of the machine is the Kegel Sizer Sizer 3000. <laughs> see, there's, there's a lot of benefits to working those Kegels, not just sexually. It can also keep you from peeing yourself. Um, so that that's awesome. I don't know why that makes me think of there's actually an app for that. Uh, it's a game. There is a device that you insert into your vagina and like, it's like your, you know, the dinosaur game that comes up on Chrome when you don't have internet access, like you just push the button and it makes the dinosaur like jump over like little trees and shit. Right. So basically it's like that, except you can also go down. So your, your icon guy is like traveling across the screen. And so if you have an obstacle, you have to either squeeze to go up (laughs) and I'm not even bullshitting. You can look this up. This exists. I just don't know the name of it because it got advertised to me at some point. I just laughed and went, no, I'm good. Like I'll just practice those the old fashioned way. (laughs) I don't think my hoo-ha needs a game on my phone. That's gotten excessive. Uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, this, there are so many things you could do. Like, imagine a Mario game with that or something like that. Nintendo can make a lot of money with, like, you know. <laughs> the Joystick 2.0? <laughs> something like that, yeah. I mean, uh, Somebody had the Joystick. That may have been, like, a Natari thing now that I'm thinking about it. But I, I remember somebody had something called the Joysticks that just kind of gave me a giggle. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that like Atari had uh, like, yeah, it was like a a little square box with like a little handle that you would use to move in like one button uh, you would press to like fire. So, I mean, that that, that could easily be, I think about all the fun, you know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, there you go. Just squeeze fire. (laughs) (laughs) How was your week? 
Oh, the week was good. Uh, wrapped up house sitting, so um, saw the uh, the chickens for the last time. Uh, and if uh, anybody has uh, been checking out our um, f- uh, Facebook uh, group, um, you know I've, I've been po- I've p- been posting a couple of uh, videos uh, of them uh, thanks to TikTok. Um, you know, being forty five, you know, I figure I had to do what the kids are doing today, and I, you know, definitely love the TikTok. <laughs> See, I downloaded TikTok based off of some of our conversations, and while I have yet to actually open it or (laughs) use it, I am already sufficiently annoyed by the amount of notifications I get for having no activity on there yet. So <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that's why I mean with me, I turn off notifications for most anything because do you really need to know that you know? Because especially too, like I I made a, a short little video that was a video of a guy like taking down a Darth Vader poster from his kid's room. Like you know, this is what happens when your kids you know don't want to watch be Star Wars fans anymore. And then it cuts to me stating you know adoption is a thing. Just saying. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, um, there, there's some funny things. I think I do want to play with it eventually i just haven't gotten there yet i i just have no patience for learning some stuff it took me a while to begrudgingly get into instagram and yeah. even snapchat like with my friends and stuff so well if, I, i'm i'll put it this way i like it because to me it's like the happy me the happy medium of what i've liked about social media, you know, I mean, um, you know, so far there, it's been great watching just cooking videos too, you know, like I, I found a recipe for, um, the, these, uh, meatballs that you can make with cheese in the middle. And, oh gosh. I thought you were like, talking the other meatballs for a second. I saw your one with the meatballs and salsa and I totally oh. had to comment to be like, Oh, hold up. I've made something similar. Don't knock it. And I'm not. I'm not joking. Like it yeah. was. It was meatballs, uh, grape jelly, and that Heinz chili sauce. Like not the sweet chili sauce. You have to get the Heinz just plain chili sauce. You put mm. all that in a crock pot and let it go. And I shit you not. Two things were always true of every potluck I took that to. Number mm. one, nobody ever believed that that was the actual recipe, and they thought I was bullshitting them. And number two, it was always gone. Every time. (laughs) Yeah, the video you're talking about, it's on our uh, group page. And yeah, it's me reacting to um, bad cooking. But what was what I reacted to more than anything was that the woman was using like Walmart ingredients for all this. And like, just like, I I think I even said in the video, like, you know, I get, you know, sweet and sour mixed together. You know, you're going to have unique taste. But you know, Welsh's grape jelly. I mean, that's just like gelatin. You know, you couldn't buy something fancy and put it in. I mean, in fancy, a fancy jelly is not going to be that terribly expensive, you know? Well, I mean, to be fair, she was more upper shelf than I was. I would get signature select grape jelly or like grape value grape jelly. <laughs> yeah, she spent the extra dollar for Welsh's. You know? <laughs> so see, she did. She did up it. I don't know. I've never I never tried the other one with like other jellies, though. But you'd oh. probably have to be a little bit careful because like I don't know if cranberry would work, for example. But I'd be tempted to try it for like, you know, Thanksgiving or whatever the season for cranberries in the winter. Or something like that, but you know that's the, that's the fun of TikTok there. But before we dive into our main event for this evening, do want to say a couple of words here about the passing of a legend. Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek, has passed away at the age of eighty-nine, and um, it. It can't be said enough just how important her presence on that show was for our was for American culture. You know, I mean, she her and William Shat. I mean, she was a part of the first interracial kiss on American television and, um, you know, that which vitally important. And it showed that, guess what? The world won't blow up, you know, if interracial people kiss. And and, and, and it's, it, in a lot of ways, people today should be taking lessons from that, because, you know, if you have. If you are a religious person, let's say, and you don't care for like homosexual people, I mean, your mindset of they shouldn't be allowed on TV is the same mindset as people had back in, you know, the 60s and whatnot of interracial people should not be together. 
Oh, yeah. And that even feeds into kind of what we were talking about at the head of, you know, our last episode where I was sort of, you know, going off a little bit on the far right's problem with a show called Dead End Paranormal Park, having a lead protagonist who is transgender. Um, I think it's funny because Star Trek was really ahead of its time. Um, The first interracial kiss and like some of the stuff that Data says is really kind of amazing. Like I pulled it up just to make sure I didn't misquote it. But I love that somebody actually found that at some point, I guess in an episode, I think it was called The Offspring. Um, Data actually said, I have decided to allow my child to choose its own sex and appearance. Lol, when he made his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I thought that was really kind of cool to see that. Like, I'm not a Trekkie. So I just mm-hmm. love how relevant it is and that people will share, like, how ahead of this time that it was. She told a story and um, that I that blew my mind. She talked about at the end of the first season of Star Trek, she was actually going to quit the show. And she she told Gene Roddenberry, hey, I'm out at the end of the season. I'm gone. And um, one time she was out with some friends and, um, you know, was at a party and and somebody said, hey, uh, there's a Star Trek fan that would like to meet you. And she's like, cool. Where, where are they at? And she goes over and it's Dr. Martin Luther King. And he tells her that, you know, Star Trek is one of the few shows that, you know, him and his wife would let their kids watch. And she told him that, you know, hey, after this season, I'm not going to be on it anymore. And apparently he goes, you can't do that. Think about what you're doing. You know, it's like you don't have a black role. You have an equal role. And at that time in the 60s, that was important because, yeah, maybe in the first season of Star Trek, she didn't have much to do. But she was an officer on the bridge doing her job. I mean, she wasn't a Starfleet maid. And that may sound sarcastic today, but, you know, in the 60s, they were still showing repeats of uh, a 50s television show called Amos and Andy, which was a spinoff of a radio show. And that radio show of Amos and Andy was white guys doing black voices, you know, so like it's. It can't be said um, just how much her impact was. And the first uh, black woman in space, Dr. Mae Jemison, uh, said that without Uhura, she would not have been inspired to go into science and ultimately to go into space. So um, Michelle Nichols, I actually had a chance to meet her once and shake her hand. Um, I think I annoyed her, but um, she was still pretty gracious. But just what a legend. What a legend. I mean, with with a name like Friends Talking Nerdy, I, you know, we had to mention her passing here, but um, what a life. What a life. Oh, yeah. And if not, you know, for some of the awesomeness that got to play out in the background of what eventually evolved with, like, our, our black actors and their ability to hold stage and be mains and not be, like, the sidekick, the person that dies immediately, things like that. Like, I kind of totally understand what it, he was talking about to her and it makes it even better that she did. She was able to see that value, mm-hmm. right? Not for herself, but for everybody else and chose to still stick on. So whether you really love that or you just really love Star Trek, either way, it is a good time to take a moment for somebody that you appreciated, no matter how, what the range was that you appreciated them. Indeed. Indeed. So, Let's go on to our main event here. As we have been talking about the past couple weeks here, we have been talking about taxing churches. And this week, we're going to wrap up our discussion. Yes, we did decide to give it a shot where we're going to through, go through all of the pros and cons so that we're giving everything a good vetted voice. We're giving each other all of the the different ways that we might not think about it instead of just kind of picking and choosing, you know, because really it's almost like a thought experiment on the show, right? We're kind of yeah. going through and having an out loud thought experiment together on how we feel about certain topics. So if you didn't catch part one and part two of Churches and Taxes, please feel free to go do that. It'll probably make this make more sense. Uh, true, but I'm going to hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully if, if this is your starting point, hopefully we, we you know, keep you entertained enough so you go back and listen to the rest here. But what I've been enjoying about it most of all is that, you know, most people don't take the time to look at the pros and cons of stuff. And I'm very much guilty of that myself. You know, you have an opinion and you just go, you know, barreling straight ahead with that opinion. And I I think it is vitally important for people to 
honestly look at both sides of of issues like this so you can come to an informed decision on what is right because i i can tell you i think my opinion has changed somewhat you know i i think in a more realistic way i mean as as we've talked about you know i i don't think religious organizations that are that are doing good for their community should be punished for the sins of the ones that aren't Right. And we'll go that go into that kind of concept even more in these last four bullet points, I think. I think it kind of covers it. And I I like where we're going to end it up, I think. All right. So let's dive in with our first pro here. That first pro is the only constitutionally valid way of taxing churches would be to tax all nonprofits, which would place undue financial pressure on the 960,000 public charities that aid and enrich U.S. society. If only churches were taxed, government would be treating churches differently purely because of their religious nature. And you had a note on there. Oh, God. Like when I read this, I was like, not only is this misleading, it contradicts within itself. Churches are already getting special treatment. So wouldn't it be the only constitutionally valid way of having nonprofits would be to treat all of them equally? Right. But instead, they're kind of trying to take this idea and make it just biased towards the thing that they want. So to me, pro number nine just like absolutely fucking killed me. It's absolutely misleading. Um, Uh Unlike, quote, all other nonprofits, end quote, churches do not have to fill out Form 990. So this is comparing apples to oranges in my head. And yeah, I mean, it's not taking into account. It's it's going the extreme because I, you know, I, I think as we're discovering, I think if more people dive into this issue, more people would be okay with churches being treated like a charity and and not taxed. But what this argument is stating is like it's either this or that. It's either keep churches in the same tax exempt status as they are now or tax them. There's there is an in between here. Right, because even taking that same sentence that you just said, if you switch taxed with untaxed, it's still saying the same thing. If only churches were untaxed, government would be treating churches differently, which is what's going on right now. Like even to the level of they're not being taxed the same as other nonprofits that also give to their community. Because we go back to one of the heart and soul of this is the idea that churches provide for those that like are struggling, like possibly during um, like not just like the homeless and houseless, they uh, they also do food pantries. They also help in like crazy weather events, or at least they did traditionally, and they still do, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But when this was given, first of all, taxes weren't just like a thing you can go online and do in 10, 15 minutes, right? Like if, if you like store your data and keep everything lined up, it does not take long to do taxes. I do not think Form 990 is so complex that the churches couldn't handle doing that just so that they can be treated equally to everybody else, to all of the other nonprofits that are also feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, helping in these national, uh, these, these da- uh, natural disaster situations. Like, don't they all deserve to be treated equally to that? Because it does seem like there is preferential treatment to churches already. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if yeah, I mean, that's I don't know how much how much more eloquently I can put it, I guess. But yeah, yeah it's it's. They already have preferential treatment, and I, I, I think that's part of the problem when you have pe- people that are abusing that tr- uh, preferential treatment to the degree that it can be abused. And I know in one of the later points we'll uh, be touching a little bit up- upon that, but I, again, I think, you know, like I said, the the argument here is, is and as you stated too, is, is misleading because it's either – it's not a matter of, you know, do we keep them just tax exempt? or start taxing the hell out of them. You know, it's like, again, there is a middle ground. Yeah, and I I think that's where we're mostly kind of advocating for as we learn together. Yeah. Well, let's go into the con here. Uh, Despite the 1954 law banning political campaigning by tax-exempt groups, many churches are clearly political and therefore should not be receiving tax exemptions. 
Every fall, the Alliance Defense Fund, a Christian legal group, organizes Pulpit Freedom Sunday, encouraging pastors to defy our IRS rules by endorsing candidates from the pulpit. More than 500 pastors participated in October 2011, yet none lost their church's exemption status. In October 2010, Minnesota pastor Brad Brandon, a Berean Bible Baptist Church, endorsed several Republican candidates and dared the liberal media to file complaints with the IRS. Brandon later announced on his radio program, I'm going to explain to you what happened. Nothing happened. And yeah, I mean, I had a little note here. There are churches that do important work in terms of getting people to the polls to vote that may not have the ability to do so. Yet it is a fair uh, point to bring up that should they, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, I didn't know about this Alliance Defense Fund thing, um, the Pulpit Freedom Sunday, and the Brad Branson, the Brian Bible Baptist. <laughs> um, I didn't know anything about any of that stuff. But to me, it is absolutely 1,000% bullshit and a show of the preferential treatment that nothing happened. Like... Well, I cannot believe that like, – because I really – I don't even think there is a way for a church to, quote, lose its tax-exempt status. Like I've never heard of that. Um, it can. I think one of the points that we talk about uh, talk about mentions it, but they talk about over an extended uh, – over a certain period of time, like only one church lost <laughs> their tax-exempt status. There um, we go. What, yeah, like the problem here is that a lot of it seems like churches are being treated just like major corporations too. And you know, like if you have a major corporation that you know gets into trouble, like in terms of like monopolies and stuff like that, um, the government doesn't necessarily go after them like they used to in the past. You know, because a lot of these churches too are you know putting money in you know these po- politicians you know. <laughs> pockets uh and whatnot so yeah and it even goes to like what's sad is the churches don't necessarily need to campaign because they already support people being christian choosing christians choosing christian things and when your candidates are able to stand up there and say i am christian i am christian i am a christian thing so choosing me is choosing a christian thing choosing me is choosing christian morals well you don't have to actually do that then it's built into the relationship between the politicians and the church. So I know it's not technically the same as campaigning for a politician, but it seems odd that there's no way to address this seemingly teamworky way they've gotten around this little loophole here. And then it really pisses me off that when so many churches, more than 500 pastors participated in that, there's proof of it. This is known and nothing happened. Nothing. That's insane to me. They are, directly violating what little agreement they have in this why you get to keep your tax-free status. So it's basically being pissed on right in front of the IRS, and the government goes, yeah, but they're churches, so we're going to we're gonna let them, right? That seems to be the narrative. I can't speak for what's being said behind the screen, but that's just how it feels if nothing happened. Yeah. I mean, ultimately here, like – no religious organization should be engaged in, in any political activity, even if that political activity benefits candidates that you would support. You know, like we have to, as citizens in this country, be very mindful of that um, because of how, you know, look how history has many examples of how religion in the wrong hands has caused a lot of damage. And we have to be really, really careful about that. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's move on to the next pro and con. What do we have? Yeah, So we got pro and con number 10, which go together super well. So I'm going to sandwich read them and then I figure we can react to them. So pro number 10, small churches already struggling to survive would be further endangered by a new tax burden. A 2010 survey by the Hartford Institute for Religious Research found that congregations facing financial strain more than doubled to almost 20% in the past decade, with 5% of congregations unlikely to recover. If these churches were obliged to pay taxes, their existence would be threatened and government 
would thus be impending religious expression. And then con number 10, which is also funny, just as a quick side note, we kind of talked about that. Uh, I think it was in the last episode. It might have been part one, but I think it was part two. This idea that like businesses and establishments can fail and they can fail for many reasons, right? So if mm-hmm. they're not making enough to stay around, don't you need to assess why a business is failing before you just decide to forever save it, right? Yeah. But then there's con number 10. American taxpayers are supporting the extravagant lifestyles of wealthy pastors whose lavish, quote, megachurches accumulate millions of tax-free dollars every year. U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley um, of Massachusetts, he's a Republican, um, it says R slash IA, which I don't know what that means, so I'll be real there. (laughs) I I think he's from Iowa. Uh, honestly, oh, okay. he is a Republican, but I think the yeah. IA means Iowa. So. Oh, okay. I thought the MA would mean Massachusetts. Maybe so anyway, Chuck yeah. Grassley, from wherever the fuck he's from, he's a Republican, launched an investigation into these groups in November 2007 after receiving complaints of church revenue being used to pay pastors private jets, Rolls Royce cars, multi-million dollar homes, trips to Hawaii and Fiji, and in one case, a 23,000 marble top chest of drawers installed in a 1,050 square foot headquarters or sorry, 150,000 square foot headquarters of Joyce Meyer Ministries in Fenton, Missouri. Um, so I think it's funny that they're acting like there's absolutely no way to help distinguish between these small churches and the mega churches, right? Like uh, the, the whole idea of like an exception cap where if a church makes less than X amount, then they would probably get a reduced tax rate Again, kind of like how it works for the average citizen. It's called a tax bracket, and they affect you whether you realize it or not, right? Excuse me there. So I went on to Investopedia to to throw this definition out there for anybody who wants it. A tax bracket refers to a range of incomes subject to a certain income tax rate. Tax brackets result in a progressive tax system in which taxation progressively increases as an individual's income grows. Low income falls into tax brackets with relatively low income tax rates, while higher earnings fall into brackets with higher rates. So I could see applying this system that totally already exists on the private side and and give that to nonprofits, right? Because I don't want nonprofits that are helping to close down if they are helping Right. Like if they're helping our, our homeless, our hungry, um, like I said, in the, in the disaster events and et cetera, like I don't want them to have to go away if they don't have to. And especially if, you know, their net is that they're truly giving away majority of what they have, because that to me would be, in essence, why something like that would be struggling. Right. Like why it yeah. might not come back is that it's literally depleting all of its resources to do the thing that it needs to do or that it says that it wants to do. So, oh, fuck yeah. Like if they're giving everything away, let them not pay their property taxes. But maybe the mega churches don't need $23,000 marble things installed. Like maybe they don't need that. And maybe it could be looked at this way, right? When a mega church is doing so well that it can take care of its flock and keep up with its its house and and keep unripped up good condition bibles in every fucking pew, maybe when they have that excess, that blessing that they're doing so much of the Lord's work that they could give it back like to everybody, not just the things that they wanted. Like maybe that's where that could be is they could give it back. And hell, I would still give them the same option. If they want to use the millions, thousands and millions of dollars instead of private jets, Rolls Royces and chest of drawers being installed, maybe if they took all of that money and opened, like I had talked about that whole transitional house to move from houselessness to having a place to go, Okay, well, then take the thousands of dollars you spent on that and write it off. You, you can mm-hmm. prove that you did that for a good, that you did a good thing, and then you don't – it would reduce your tax bill. Yeah. So uh, to me, this pro and con here just goes back to kind of what we talked about before. Like, no, small churches like the one that the, the Mr. Reverend's mother works in, like I don't think they should have to be taxed to the hilt and lose their place because – they're not a mega church. They're obviously not the ones taking advantage of this system. They don't have the ability to take advantage of the system. But the mega churches, I, I think they owe more of an explanation to us. And to not have to even put in a simple form saying where your money is going, just so somebody can check, 
I, I just can't get behind that in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, especially when, uh, I mean, as you as was mentioned here in the con, I mean, when you have government officials investigating, finding all this stuff, and then they don't really do anything about it. I mean, because, I, one, I didn't hear of Grassley doing this back in the day. Um, now, granted, it, it happened in 2007, so, and I, it, I don't recall every single news event that happened in that year. So it's possible that it could have slipped my mind, but also – where are the results? You know, like if they found right. this, why were those people that are taking advantage of the system not not punished? I'm sorry. You know, you don't yeah. need a $23,000 marble-topped chest of drawers. You know, if you have uh, – there is no reason for that at all. Right. And meanwhile, there's like people starving probably right outside your door. And – What's sad is I wouldn't even put it past some churches to call if a houseless person was, like, trying to sleep Mm -hmm. on their properties. I don't know about you. I don't see a lot of them sleeping, like, out. And not all of them open their doors for in, right? Because I am aware that churches, um, they a lot of times will open their doors, but it's very restrictive. Like, you have to get in there you know, and not be filled. And if you do get in there, you're probably sleeping on like a cot or a mat, if you know, on the floor and you have to be up and out of there by like 6am. So it's not a full, it's not the same as having a shelter or a space where you can put your things and have a sense of a home or, or your cave, your dwelling as a human, because you want to talk, I, I love going back to how we're animals. We, we're cave things. Like we, we have, we live in a space so when somebody doesn't have that, it really hurts them, like mentally, not just mm-hmm. physically, but it starts to to hurt because that's something that we, we want shelter. We're shelter animals. So anyway, I don't know the results of that one. That's not something that I researched before the show, and I don't really want to – I think that would take like a minute to kind of find out what happened. I don't think I'm going to find a page. Here's what Grassley did. Yeah, um, so I'm not going to try to Google it in the background, but I would if you guys are interested in that – feel free to look that up and, and indulge in that curiosity. Like, did they actually do anything? But considering 500 people openly defied uh, the one thing that they're openly asked to not do. Four and years others later. did it. Yep. And then four years later, an untallied number did the same fucking thing. And I, and he straight said nothing happened. So at least with that one, we can assume that nothing happened. So there's just this kind of thing where they say, you know, we're not – it would be punishing us because we're religious. But really it seems like there's a lot of preferential treatment here that's been unchecked for way too long. And so it is time, I think, to have that conversation. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Um, Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah, number 11. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. The pro. The vast majority of churches refrain from political campaigning and should not be punished for the actions of the few that are political. The Internal Revenue Code gives churches the freedom to either accept the tax benefit and refrain from political campaigning like all other nonprofit charities or reject the exemption and speak freely about political candidates. There are 450,000 churches in the U.S., yet only 500 pastors made political statements as part of the of the uh, Pulpit Freedom Sunday on October 2nd, 2011. The tax exemption should remain in place to benefit the vast majority of churches. Um, I guess, yes. I mean, if, if yeah, I'd like the problem I have, yeah, is that churches should not be engaging in political talk or action, in my opinion. And when you have that, even if it may, even if that church is utilizing people to support a political candidate that I may support in the long run, that is still not right. And yeah, if there are churches that are not engaging in that behavior, it should go without saying that, yeah, I don't think they should be punished. Yeah, and that makes sense. But it also goes into it would be different if there weren't other situations going on with that. Like it would be different. If those 500 pastors in those churches, you know, faced repercussions for their actions, any sort of repercussions for their actions, even if it's that they'd have to reapply for their status, right? 
even if it's just a, well, okay, it wasn't the church, it was the pastor. You now have a decision to make, Mr. Church. Do you keep your pastor or do you keep your non-exempt status? Because to be real, it was the pastor that chose to do it, Mm -hmm. right? So I could see that being the ultimatum there. That being said, I didn't hear about 500 pastors being fired. Um, So I don't think that happened. And then also, they're acting like every church is the small mom and pop church or the the non-mega church, the non-Royals Royces. Like the thing is, is it's not just about the political campaigning. It's about other behaviors, right? Like we're not saying that necessarily, okay, so yes, they are doing this. We don't agree with it. We do agree that there should be repercussions when they violate the one big ask, which is not to participate in the the campaigning, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not the really big issue here, is it? I mean, I just don't think it is. I think the bigger issue is these churches that make all of this money and have like no accountability for where it's going. With no enforcement, yeah. Exactly, I mean, they're not going to get punished. Even with other nonprofits, if they want to say, well, what they should be saying is we should be treated like all nonprofits, but they're only saying that like in a weird, twisted way to try to bias the conversation to not be treated like that it's so confusing i'm still kind of reeling on that that first one we read i guess but yeah i I honestly i don't think the issue really for me as much is about that i do have a problem that when they violate it there's no repercussions so what the fuck is the point in even having that agreement Mm -hmm. meanwhile it makes me go all right, who wants to start a nonprofit and start campaigning and see how long it takes for them to lose their nonprofit status? Because I feel like that's likely to have happened or would happen way more than like this church stint. So in a weird way, I would say that I agree with this pro. Like this is the closest pro that I agree to mm-hmm. because, yeah, but that's only if there weren't other factors going on like does that make sense like this single pro and con i guess i kind of see their point but overall in the topic i'm still kind of going with we need to do something different here and that's going to look like having them be treated non-preferential anymore and having to do the same actions in the same forms that other nonprofits do yeah because if the churches were held accountable for their actions this pro wouldn't need to be there <laughs> right you know? and hey you know what if they had to fill out that form uh that whole investigation that you talked about wouldn't have had to happen how much money did that cost us us right because any investigation done by our government is going to come from our tax dollars so wait mm-hmm. a second we had to pay for somebody to investigate them Especially because it didn't just go to like, hey, you're being audited in tax. Like, I get that. And I'm all for that. Like, kind of auditing every now and then. I understand. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, we had to pay for this. (laughs) With, yeah, I mean, with no discernible results that that we can find here. And that is the problem. Yeah. Um, but let's go into the con here. The uh, the con, the tax break given to churches restricts their freedom of speech because it deters pastors from speaking out for or against political candidates. As argued by Reverend Carl Gregg, pastor of Maryland's Broadview Church, when Christians speak, we shouldn't have to worry about whether we are biting the hand that feeds us because we shouldn't be fed from Caesar, Uncle Sam, in the first place. What a ridiculous fucking argument. (laughs) But it's interesting, though, right? Because it's because it goes back. If you're a nonprofit, I agree you shouldn't be campaigning. Your your Mm -hmm. whole thing should be supporting the people and supporting them to make good, healthy choices where you can. But it's so interesting to hear a pastor be pro taxing them Mm -hmm. because then they could openly do the thing that they want to do. Which is it? So then, at that point, like, well, can't you just choose to be taxed and run your church? It's almost like the argument too of like uh, corporations are people. You know, like how uh, I think it was a Supreme Court ruling that said that corporations uh, shouldn't have their quote unquote free speech uh, uh, denied by, you know, not being able to, uh, you know, donate money to political causes. And this is like the same argument here. And like, but again, like 
I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it, it where, where Christians were or even the Jewish people were overwhelmingly for politicians and they this just argument yeah. makes no sense. It makes I, no I sense. I will say I think the quote is at least appropriate and that it's adorable that he put in there because we shouldn't be fed from Caesar slash Uncle Sam and he's pulling from that give unto Caesar. But it's his. But anywho, um, and I just it kills me because the churches could totally see this as paying back in like taxes can be a lot of things. Right. Sure. They can fund things that you don't like as much, but they also do fund a lot of good things. They do fund things like Medicare, Medicaid, some of the other things like uh, food fire stamp department. programs. The fire department is still socialism, folks. Yay. Um, I know we're not fans of the police department. I'm still hoping for a cool reform discussion through all of this shit. Um, and you can say there have been changes that have made. I will not say we are done because holy shit, no, we're not. But there <laughs> have been some changes made that gives me hope that we can even, you know, kind of reform that whole area. But that money does go towards things that benefits the larger community. So why can't the church see this as, as helping the least of these, which is another thing straight out of the fucking Bible? You are supposed to be helping. Nowhere in there does it say only in your congregation. Nowhere in there does it say only the only it's, it's supposed to be any of the least of these. Right. And that's the believer, the non-believer, any of them. Jesus didn't stop to like he helped everybody. And didn't he tell people, you know, maybe sell all of your stuff and give it to the poor? <laughs> I mean, he didn't say sell your stuff and invest it in savings bonds. He didn't say uh, he he said give it to the poor. Give it to yep. people. Help Not even people. give it to the church, which is what you hear most the pastors saying up in the pulpit, right? He mm -hmm. was saying give it to the poor, give it to the hungry, give it to the meek, the least of these, the, yeah, exactly, the lepers, right? Because they were really considered their own group of outcasts back then. Um, yeah, so there was nothing about keeping it and hoarding it in any of Jesus's fucking messages. It was all about giving it away and giving it to people. I don't think I think the Rolls Royce church and the marble table install is the exact kind of thing that he'd go in there and flip his shit and start knocking tables over again, because I think he would see it for just what it was. The same thing that he had an issue with before, which was dealing and selling and, and you know, the marketplace that had become the church where it was changing money, uh -huh. you know? So, I think he would have a huge problem with the mega churches. I think the small churches that are honestly those ones that are struggling, that could use to not be taxed to the hilt. Um, the ones that I would suspect that you would show that their donation incomes did not meet any criteria. Like if we could do some kind of bracket system for them too, the same thing that we get, I think that would be an excellent way to kind of account for that. Indeed. Indeed. It, you know, again, though, it's, I, I I have a problem with people supporting a religious organization that will go out and be political, whether it is for a candidate I support or not. The, the, the pulpit should not be a place for a political advertisement. Um, to me, that is like the antithesis of everything that the Bible taught about the relationship between the government and the church. There should be a separateness there. Yeah, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. All right, let's dig into our last pro-con here. What is that pro? All right, so pro, withdrawing the, quote, parsonage exemption on minister's housing would cost American clergy members $2.3 over five years, which would be a major blow to modestly paid men and women who dedicate their lives to helping people in need. According to the National Association of Church Business Administration, NACBA, the average American pastor with a congregation of 300 people earns less than 28000 per year. The NACBA also, sorry, that's just like such a mouthful, also states that one in five pastors takes on a second job to earn extra income and that only 5% of pastors earn more than 50000 As stated by D. August Botto, Executive Pres Vice President and General Counsel of the Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, I can't say Baptist without being silly, the housing allowance is critically important for making ends meet. It is not a luxury. So that being said, 
I'm going to go ahead and loop that in with con number 12 because this is really just about salary and income here. So the average 300 people, like if you've got a congregation of 300 or less, I'm sorry, of 300 people, they earn less than 28000 a year. Okay, that's not a big income. So that's fair, right? So con number 12. The parsonage exemption on ministers' homes makes already wealthy pastors even richer at taxpayers' expenses. The average annual annual salary for senior pastors with congregations of 2,000 or more is $147,000, with some earning up to $400,000, depending on where you're at. Um, in addition to the federal exemption on housing expenses enjoyed by these ministers, they often pay $0 in state property tax. Church leaders Creflo and Taffy Dollar of World Changers Church International had three tax-free parsonages, a million-dollar mansion in Atlanta, Georgia, a two-million-dollar mansion in Fayetteville, Georgia, and a $2.5 million Manhattan apartment. Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, leaders of Kenneth Copeland Ministries in Fort Worth, Texas, live in a church live in a church-owned tax-free 6.2 million lakefront parsonage. So it goes back to something we've really talked about a lot. There is a huge difference between the small churches and the mega churches, right? And um yeah, uh I've looked it up out of curiosity because what's funny is Going back to pro number 12. So actually, I'm going to put a pin in that for just one second. The thing that I looked up out of curiosity, I'm from Texas. This mentioned some Texas stuff, so I wanted to look something up. So a Dallas pastor on average, this is the median. This is 50% of them. This isn't the where they start. This isn't where they end. 50% of pastors in Dallas make on average $101,615 in a year. A Dallas elementary school teacher, on the other hand, <laughs> makes 60724 So, and again, that's that's bigger schools, small schools, so you have to realize that that's all of the sizes of that. When you're, Those are all from salary.com, just throwing that out there. And so it takes me back to pro number 12 there, and this sounds kind of familiar of what teachers do. Um, the one in five pastors takes on a second job to earn extra income. Well, so do our teachers. So why don't we make our schools and our teachers and give them all these tax exemptions, right? Because that's definitely a public good. That is serving the public. Yeah. So why, I mean, schools, I know that's like totally different, but like, why aren't the teachers getting like the same benefit, the parsonage exemption? You know, can can the can the school own their house too, supposedly, and let them like not have to do? Act? Yeah, because how many pastors at the end of the day are having to make Amazon wish lists to be able to get all the supplies they need for their church? Not many, I'll bet. Right. I mean, they're having a lot of teachers have to do a lot of their own. Uh, like drives like that, so to speak, their own fundraising, their own creative gathering of resources. Like I know there's even one locally here that helps teachers. It's called Ruth's Reusable Resources. Our office donates extra, like when we have abundance of paper clips and crap that we're just ready to get rid of just so it can help teachers out. Like there's so many programs like that because it's so well known uh, how little teachers are paid for how much they contribute so if the narrative is that they don't make enough, they have to do other jobs, well, why are we applying this to churches, giving preferential treatment, and not to other people that also do and work in the public good and don't make enough and have to pay a sec or have to work a second job, which they then also will have taxes to pay on? And I think the important thing here too is is to point out that I have no problem with a parsonage exemption, again, if, if the church in question is doing right by their community. If, if they are indeed helping their community, then, yeah, I have no problem with, um, you know, the head of that church, the pastor, having a, a special benefit of a place to live. And I, I would like that for teachers as well. I would like it for everybody. You know, I, I think it is a crime that we have plenty of places where people can live, but we still have uh, tons of homelessness because of you know money greed uh and whatnot but um 
it, it, this kind of ties back in with the enforcement angle. You know, when you have a Kenneth Copeland, I mean, that guy is a disgusting human being in so many ways. Like if you've seen him before and seen him in interviews, like he's, he's one of the people that preaches the prosperity gospel uh, and whatnot. And the fact that, you know, again, he has a $6 million home, a lakefront property in Texas, probably beautiful place to live, gets that tax free. Fuck that guy. There is no way, like, if, if if Jesus were real and Jesus came back, there's no way he'd be embracing Kenneth Copeland and saying he's one of my good guys. Fuck that. That guy is 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 just as unethical as as the as the head of any other major corporation because that's what he's created. Uh, it, it, in organization and it. Uh, yeah, there needs to be enforcement. There really needs to be enforcement because it, it, the people that are breaking the rules and flaunting that they're breaking the rules make it so much harder for the people that are not just because of public opinion. You know, you brought up cops earlier, you know, like we don't speak in absolutes here. I never will. You know, so when it comes to cops, there are bad ones. There are definitely bad ones. But, you know, if you are robbed, if you're in trouble, who are you going to call? You know, and you were laughing so. I'm laughing? sorry, I couldn't help it. You said I'll, I, I don't speak in absolutes. I will never do that. And I just the ir- the irony. I couldn't. I tried to like move my mic away and not laugh in the mic. But <laughs> well, you can thank the Grand Rapids Public Education System for that. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. But you get my you, point. Oh yes, and then like I think really, what I'm really coming to here is churches really do get preferential treatment in all of this, and I think it's time that we stop lying to our ourselves about it. Look at it for what it is, right? Because I'm sorry, I just think that an elementary school teacher does far more of a contribution to our society than most churches think, it, I think, at this point, right? Like, they do a lot, and they get paid aggressively less, right? Because if the average in Dallas for a pastor like it's almost two times as much than a teacher. So, I mean, and I know it's not directly going to relate this way where it's going to be that exact same ratio and relationship everywhere you go. Unfortunately, I couldn't find numbers for a small town. I tried to, but that's just not what salary.com does. And I'm not going to go job hunting today to try to (laughs) find like something to compare this to. But I think it's, pretty clear to see that I don't think they need the level of exemption that they get. I don't think they deserve to be treated any more special than a secular food pantry, a secular homeless shelter. Um, I think everybody nowadays, especially when we've got computers that can help track a lot of this stuff, whereas when these were first put into spirit, first put into place, that wasn't really a thing. Like you kind of needed an accountant for a business. Um, yeah. Nowadays, you kind of can get away without that just because if like QuickBooks and other software and things like that you can use. And also because of how complicated our taxes have gotten, there's various tools and programs online, many of them free. I go back to, I don't think nonprofits should have to pay for that service. I, I would totally support the idea of giving them a credit in the amount of what the H&R block person would be paid to do their taxes for them, right? Mm -hmm. So even if they didn't want to find somebody in their congregation or couldn't say it's only a congregation of like 50 people because that exists out there, they might not have anybody that's good with that stuff. I just think there's other ways that this could be done that doesn't put a burden on the church in and of itself, but will actually hold them accountable when they are making a lot of money and maybe they should be paying back into the societal good, which is our income tax system and what that kind of does. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think I'm done with the uh, the preferential treatment stuff. It, it's just, it's funny to me. It goes back to that first pro and con we read with this one. It kind of, I think, accidentally set a tone for me today. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, we're at the end here of the pros and cons. And I, I guess at the end, like, what are your thoughts after going through all 12 of these pros and cons? Where do you stand? And is it different now since we've gone through these pros and cons? Yes, in a sense. Um more because I understand more about it, right? Like I couldn't have told you if nonprofits filed any forms versus not. I honestly, when I went into this, when we first started talking about it, I didn't know that religious congregations were exempt on that level from having to even do the form. Um, what did we say? We wrote that up at the top, right? Like form 990, form 990 yeah. right? Which every other swing and dick nonprofit has to do. 
they have to do it, I think churches should have to do it. So that's A. But at least I understand enough about it to say, oh, there is a form for you for nonprofits who help with the community. So you should do that. I also, after reading all of this, I think they should implement some kind of bracket system for all nonprofits, not just religious organizations, because that would, if they're that concerned of losing it, well, then that should, in essence, help. Uh-huh. And it would still also cause megachurches to pay in and help our culture and society as a bigger whole, <clears throat> or they would have to, have to find a way to donate that money in a way that actually would be an exemption, just like what we have. So there's those two things, I think, for the most part, is move them towards doing the form, maybe invent that bracketing system, and and let that be one of those that helps those small churches that basically outputs everything they get in. I yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat here. Like, uh, you know, I feel that, yeah, whether, uh, just because I'm an atheist doesn't mean I should dis- disregard facts. And the facts are that there are religious organizations in this country that are doing good for their community. And no, they should not be punished for that in terms of excess taxes. And do I think we need to start taxing churches? Not necessarily. I mean, as, as you talked about, um, treat them just like you would any other charity. You know, that would put everybody on an equitable um, equitable thing. Also, too, we need to start enforcing the, the, the rules here. You know, there are people that are blatantly disregarding the rules about this. They're flaunting it. I, I think of that uh, Tennessee pastor uh, recently, uh, Pastor Greg Locke, who says wonderful things like, you know, children who are autistic – are really inhabited by demons and that, you know, there's no way a Democrat can be a true Christian. He's saying this from the pulpit, you know, like, you know, when, when you have people like that, that are just flaunting the fact that they're not listening to the rules that, that can easily sour people on, on, on the whole idea of helping out a religious organization. And, and to me, that is wrong because if you do just throw the hammer down and say, screw it, everybody gets taxed. Now you are hurting people. You know, there are legitimate people that, that do receive help from these organizations that, that would be negatively impacted if we just said start taxing them. So we, we have to find a way to make this to where religious organizations are treated the same as a charity for one. And two, I, I, there needs to be a lot more enforcement for people that are defiantly breaking the rules. Yeah. And then the other thought that I just realized on that whole tax bracket thing is since that would be applied – you know, not with preference only to religious organizations, that would be applied to all nonprofits. So that would, in a sense, help some of them too. Yeah, because so it would y- help keep them around. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, yeah, like the, like a local like a local charity that is only based out of Portland, Oregon, is going to have a different financial responsibility than a worldwide charity. You know, just th- they may have two or three people that they need to pay for upkeep. Maybe it's in somebody's office compared to a big national headquarters or something like that. So, um, it, it's it's a in a lot of ways this is complicated. In a lot of ways, it could be less complicated if people were just enforcing the rules, you know? Yeah. And they have to find a means to do that because I think it is, it's the mega churches with the Rolls Royces. It's the pastor who says Democrats can't be Christian. Spoiler alert. There are plenty. Or or that pastor in New York who had a a service go on and that service was uh, live streamed and he got robbed and in church of a million dollars worth of jewelry. This happened just recently. Oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and 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 like, I'm sorry if your pastor has a million dollars worth of jewelry, maybe they need to be taxed. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's a lot of bling bling. But I guess like if I could have a moment to talk to the churches for just a second. The Reverend is coming up to the pulpit. The Reverend's coming to the pulpit. So what I'd like to say to the church community is that I think this would be a really cool move if if the churches could get behind supporting. Like, wow, how great would it be if the church said, I want to fill out the 990? Like, what if they just offered to do it? What if we didn't have to make them, right? Like, if a church just said, can I fill out a 990 for my congregation? I think all of those churches would be helping 
put a better taste in people's mouth when it comes to the church. Like I kind of don't like it that we almost have like a trauma response hatred towards the church. Like a lot of people seem to, and I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that because that's me too. Like I was there for a long time where it's like, I thought church and Christians and beliefs and got really angry. And that happens. Like it's, it's super common. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think if, if the church wanted to soften the hearts of those around them successfully, they would, be a little bit more embracing of this and maybe willingly do that because maybe it's not a test of your faith to be able to hide what you're spending your money at. And maybe it is okay for people to want to look at what you're spending your money at so that they can know where it's going and have that little bit of trust developed, a rapport, so to speak, right? Because we've kind of gotten a lot of negative and bad taste from the church, like right between the mm -hmm. mega churches and their Rolls Royces and shit like that, between like the, the sexual misconduct that's going on and stuff like that. Now the sexual misconduct, the, the stuff with the altar boys and things like that, that we're, we're finding out. Um, I get that there's not much that they could do to immediately kind of make that good with the public, but this one would be a super easy step for the church, the church as a whole. If they could find a way to take it, I think that would honestly do a lot with the public view. And maybe they would start seeing numbers go up some, right? We've been, we talked in the last ep or the first episode, steady decline of people who consider themselves Christians. And that even could be because they don't go to church because they don't want to support that. Also, what I would like to see is more churches and more, you know, heads of churches publicly coming out and calling out the churches that are abusing uh, the system here. You know, um, you know, like have a pastor come out and say, maybe you as uh, the alternate religious organization on the block here don't need to build a water slide. <laughs> you know? Right. Like maybe we can have like some standards for what that can go towards. Right. Like, and also yeah. like the people owning the mansions, that's crazy. Um, other side note, I totally love to see that parsonage exemption, like given to other incomes, other jobs, Oh my God, give that to anybody who works in infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about how, like, if you can afford a house <laughs> or like maybe there, there's, cause you know, there's probably some part of rent or something that's a form of tax. Like how great would it be if like the, the plumbers, the fucking electricians, the people you want to talk about and bitch about potholes, but yet we don't pay them that much and we can't hire them. But maybe like there's other ways you want to sit there and say, well, they don't make enough to be taxed this way. Well, why aren't we giving some of these obviously preferential benefits to other jobs that are helpful in our community that help keep us going as a big American tribe. So there's even an offshoot of something that, you know, the churches get that, A, I'd, I'd almost, I mean, maybe they could still get it right under nonprofit, but why wouldn't you ex extend that same concept to either other nonprofit folks or to people who work for the greater public good? And that includes our teachers. How great would it be if a teacher could write off their rent and but that help would them be, out financially. But that would be socialism, and socialism's bad. Right? Um, Isn't that interesting? That they, they basically have like this weird little <laughs> socialism, but just for us, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that myself because, yeah, I mean, as far as basic infrastructure, I mean, you have plenty of teachers that, like, when I worked at Apple, I made more than most teachers. That shouldn't have happened, especially with me, with Mr. High School Diploma. I, you know, uh, someone yeah. going to school for for a teaching degree shouldn't. I mean, maybe they don't need to earn nine hundred million dollars in salary or something like that, but but they are an important part of the community, just as much as a firefighter, just as much as a policeman. If you know, there are there is plenty of studies showing what happens when you don't invest in your education, and there's a reason why America's not number one at education. Oh no, at we all. are not. We lie and say that we are, but we're not. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, maybe we can give we could take that benefit and give it to other folks that could use it. And maybe that could help. Like, that's an interesting concept to have learned about. I didn't know about that. But hey, like we already have it built. Can we not expand that for other jobs that are important for our society that we know don't make a lot of money? So why mm -hmm. is that only given 
to leaders of congregations right now. So that would be the other change that I think would be super cool to see. Um, but that's not really related necessarily to this. This is more talking about, to me, the teachers, the electricians, the yeah. you know, city workers. But Well, this has been fun, I will tell you. I have enjoyed uh, doing this deep dive here. Yeah, I, I like it, too. I think we should try it again. I don't know what our next topic would be. Maybe we'll finally get into whether or not we should still be making the penny because we discovered that that was one of the options. And I did want to leave it open. By the way, if any of our listeners, do we still have the voicemail, Tim? Indeed. Um, it is in uh, the show description. You can uh, just click on that link. You can leave us a voicemail. Um, you can find us on our uh, group page on Facebook, Fans of Friends Talking Nerdy. Um, we also have a regular Friends Talking Nerdy page on there. As I mentioned, we um, are dipping our toes into TikTok land. Um, we're not on We're not on a Twitter as much anymore, thank goodness. And it looks like a Elon Musk has kind of helped mucking up Twitter anyway. <laughs> well, but basically I wanted to put out there, if there's a topic that you guys want to hear Tim the Nerd and the Reverend Tracy go back and forth on, feel free to leave it in a voicemail. We'll probably play that voicemail at the top of the episode mm -hmm. um, if we choose it. I think that's fair. Give you guys a little bit of a shout out. But yeah, otherwise we will pick something that fascinates us that we maybe want to learn a little bit more about or challenge our current biases on with it. Indeed, indeed. So we thank you all for listening once again to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. Every Saturday, we will have something in this podcast space to entertain your ear holes. Until we meet again, we bid you adieu. Have a lovely day, folks. Bye bye. Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.